Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. And uh, we're in a sermon series called It's in the Mountain. And uh, we've, been, we've been looking at uh, a popular passage. Even if you've never been to church, you've probably heard about this passage. It's the, the classic story of Abraham. Uh, Abraham sacrificing his son, or almost sacrificing his son. God asked Abraham to sacrifice uh, his only son. We've been reading that story. So let's go ahead and read that story. If you, so that way, if you've missed it the past couple of weeks, you can catch up. Genesis 22, there's a few verses here, 1 through 14. We're going to read uh, this story. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. That's actually, that's, that's where I'm going <laughs> to preach from today. But I'll keep going so you can hear the rest of the message. But sometime later, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, uh, here I am, Abraham replied. Then God said, I want you to take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Fascinating scripture. It's a kind of gory scripture. You don't, I, I've never actually preached on this story. I've referenced the story several times, but I find the story itself to be rather disturbing. It's hard to preach about uh, a God who would ask somebody to do this. Uh, it says, I want you to sacrifice your son as a, a burnt offering. So verse 3 says, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. And uh, he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac, whom uh, when he had cut the wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. We will worship and then we will come back. To you, Verse 6 says, Abraham took the wood uh, for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. Then he bound his son Isaac. Just, just a crazy scene here. He bound his son Isaac. Isaac would have been about 30 years old at this time. Abraham would have been about 130. So it's not like he was just a, a little boy, not a little child. This is, this is, a, this is a cooperative effort. Between the father and the son. The 30-year-old Isaac easily could have overpowered his 130-year-old, old, literally old man. Uh, could have taken him out. But he submitted to his dad and allowed him to bind him and to put him on the altar. Verse 10 says that he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Don't do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. 
Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns, and he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. Uh, it means Jehovah Jireh. If you've been in church very long, you've heard that term. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Um, this story is about, really, according to the author, the story is about the amazing provision of God. I find that interesting because I see a whole lot of other things in this story. But the author summarizes the story by saying, uh, Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide, and so it is to this day. It is said, there's a saying apparently in, in, in Israel, there's a saying, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. That is the conclusion. That's the grand conclusion of this story. Uh, it's, it's interesting that, that, that this whole story is, is, is weaved together. It's, it's got so many different dynamic pieces to it. But at the end of it, really, he's saying, basically, God will provide. God will show up. The word provide means to be seen um, or to cause to be seen, to come out of hiding, to, to, to appear. Uh, and so uh, we, we talked about the first week, we talked about how uh, what you need God has for you in the mountain. It's not going to be on the beach, it's going to be in the mountain. And so as Abraham walked up the mountain, on the other side of the mountain, there was this ram. And God was providing what he needed, but he had to do the, the climbing, right? So God did the providing and, and Abraham did the climbing. And so in all of life, it's, it's just sort of like that, that God has provided what we need, but, but, but there, is, there is some climbing that needs to be done. There's some obedience that we need to do. And as we obey him, as we walk in obedience, we get closer to his provision. And uh, last week, I, I, I talked about how God is in the details. I uh, showed a video of, of the rock that Ron had given me. And uh, really throughout this story, I see these, these small details. And, and that's exactly what Abraham saw. Uh, in, in Hebrews 11, we read from last week how Abraham reasoned within himself, or he, he, he came to a particular conclusion about God. Uh, and so we talked about being judgmental. And usually Christians don't need exhortation in that. But um, <laughs> we're talking about not being judgmental of others as much as being judgmental of ourselves and of our situation, really looking at who God is and where we are in the mix of it and not counting God out. It's so important that as you judge your situation, as you think about uh, the pros and the cons, as you weigh your situation, that you don't count God out of the situation that you factor God into the situation. And that's what Abraham did. God, uh, Abraham factored God into his impossible situation. And, and this week, I want to talk to you really about just that first verse. Uh, Genesis 22, verse 1 uh, says that sometime later, God um, tested Abraham. That's, that's really where I want to hang out today. I want to just stop there. Because, because you have to understand what this whole scenario is all about. It is about God testing Abraham. And, and the tricky thing with the word test is that for us, we think of school or college or some kind of written uh, exam. That's not what he's talking about. And I, I know pastors always say, well, when, 
When God's, when, when, when a teacher's giving a test, he's always silent. That's why God's silent during the test. And there's some good, you know, Christian cliches around the whole idea of testing. Uh, but this is not what this word is talking about. The original uh, uh, Hebrew word here, it's interesting. In the Hebrew, there, there are a couple different words for testing. So there is, first of all, a, a kind of testing that is more tactile. So you, you touch something to test to see if it's, it's heavy, to test to see if it's sturdy or solid. You taste something, right, to see if it tastes good. You, you feel something to see if it's rough or smooth. Or, or there, There's a certain kind of tactile testing. There's also a, a sort of searching testing where you are, you are testing or you are, you are examining something with your eyes. Uh, it's different, different faculties being used here. Um, but this particular word for test is not, it's not, it's, it's not tactile and it's not visual. This particular word uh, has a, uh, 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 an, an, an Arabic equivalent that means to smell. <laughs> you know, to smell, to sniff. So, so, so my sermon title today, if you want to, if you, if you want to tell the person next to you is it's got to pass the sniff test. Go ahead and tell somebody next to you, tell them it's got to pass the sniff test. The sniff test, it's got to pass. The sniff. Now I understand this is more of a, a guy sermon. So some of you ladies aren't, aren't going to understand this, but, but guys, look, look, here's, here's the question. Like you see a t-shirt on the floor. How do you know if this is wearable today? Right? You go, <laughs> it's got to pass the sniff test. You see some, snock, some socks that look a little bit dirty. They're not quite in the hamper. They're next to the hamper, but they're not quite in the hamper. And your wife says, oh, how can you put it next to it and then put it in it? Because, because they, didn't pa- they passed the sniff test. They don't go in the hamper until they fail the sniff test. That's right. The sniff test. It's important. This is an important key for everybody in life. I don't care if you're a guy or a girl. The sniff test is going to help you out today. All right. You might not get anything else out of my sermon. But when you open the refrigerator and you see that milk that's four days off. No, you, you take the top off. Do a little sniff test. If it still smells like milk, you're good. If it smells like something else, <laughs> you might want to dump it out. The sniff test has helped me out in life. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just trying to give you all some, some clues, some help. Even as a kid, I always gave the sniff test, like, like even on food, right? If you're trying a new food that you never tried before. See, no, one, no one's going to be honest in the house of God. But, 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 what, but what I do is I, I do the, the, the sniff test. And what's funny is my kids do the same thing, kind of a noise row, because she's like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, why are you smelling something? Because she thinks it doesn't affect taste. But you can pick up stuff by smelling it. That's right. You can pick up stuff by smelling it. You can't pick up any other way. Like, for instance, like when we had the salsa contest out here in July, they said, oh, this is mild, this is medium, this is whatever. And I said, yeah, right. Because I'm one, I'm not from Texas. So I'm from Michigan, right? And two, I'm very white. And, you know, I got to give this stuff the sniff test. I don't know. And so, and so I would take some of the salsa and give it the sniff test. Because if it burns your nostrils in the sniff test, it's, it's going to burn other things too. It's going it's to burn other things. You're going to feel it. You know what I'm saying? The sniff test some, it saved me so much pain. It's helped me out so many times in my life. I just got to share this with you. The sniff test is important. It's important with clothes. It's important with uh, food. I mean, it's, 
maybe I'm just weird, but I'm kind of a smell person. Like, I like good smells. I enjoy good smells. When I was a kid, I used to go, and this, is, this shows you that I'm from the 80s, but I used to go outside, like, when my mom was doing the laundry because the, because the, the dryer exhaust. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, see? Some of you 80s kids, you know what I'm talking about. The dryer exhaust in the back of the house smelled so good. I don't know why it smelled good, but it just, sm- I don't know if it was, you know, burned anything in my brain, but I mean, it smelled good. Uh, I, I used to love going to the gas station. For some reason, I don't like the smell of like gas in a can, but gas at a gas station smells different. Have you ever noticed that? Gas in the gas station smells good. I mean, there's just some smells that are just great. There are some smells that are also pretty bad. I mean, the worst part about going to the nursing home is walking in the door and being slapped with that smell, whatever that, that, that kind of the urine in the carpet smell. It's, it's, it's funny, like you, you can't really describe smell. I, I, I would challenge you to just, to just sit down with a, with a six-year-old and tell them what a rose smells like. Try to explain smell. You can explain other things. You, if, if somebody has never seen a tree before, right? If, they, if they've, I don't know, grown up in New York and they've never even seen a tree. They don't even know what a tree looks like. You can sit down, you can draw a tree and give them some idea. But you cannot draw a smell. You can't, you can't, you can't. It's so hard to describe smell because smell is one of those things that you know exists that you can pick up on, but you can't quite put your finger on it. Literally, you can't, you can't, you can't describe it. You can't, I mean, you can't tell me what an orange smells like. It smells citrusy. What's that? You know what I mean? I mean, like, you know, it's, 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 it's a smell test. While it is, it is important, it's important because smelling stuff tells us stuff about stuff we can't learn any other way. You know what I mean? Like, like you can smell something that you can't see because smell is invisible. It just kind of, you know, wafts on up. I forget. We were at some kind of church function. I think it was Aliciana. Uh, had a had a diaper on, and I was like, "Does she have a diaper on?" And somebody said, "Yeah, how'd you know?" <laughs> I can I can smell it. It's the sniff test, you know. I I I didn't know she had a diaper on. I didn't see. Her. I'm not even thinking about diapers anymore because I'm past that phase. Glory to God. But 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 I suddenly got a familiar whiff of a little something something, and I said, "She's." got a diaper on and she needs that diaper changed you know all right dad where are you uh, mom somebody let's, let's help me out it, because you can smell stuff without seeing it without hearing it without feeling it smelling lets you know kind of like what something is made of smelling lets you know what's on the inside that you can't see for instance veggie burgers you know what i'm saying like they look like burgers they are not burnt. His vegetables all mashed up and with brown food coloring. It's not a burger. It's, 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 it's veggies. Let's just, just call it veggie veggies. Just veggie, another form of veggies. This is just another way to try to trick people into eating vegetables. But if you smell it, Mm-hmm. You say, okay, that's, that's, that's the side of the grill that's not for me. That's for Roe. This over here is the side of the grill. It's because you pick up on stuff and smell. And I think, I think that's true in the physical world. I also think that, 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 that that's true in the spiritual world. I think that's also true just even in the social world. You pick up on stuff. That, there's a certain smell. There's a certain smell about people, you know. In fact, I would suggest to you, without being too judgmental, that I think a lot of Austin does not like church 
because they've smelt some, <laughs> some people who called themselves Christians, some people who passed the tactile test. You know, the visual and the touch. Oh, look, they are dressing like Christians. Oh, look, they're listening to the right music like Christians. But there was something about the, the smell of the people that, that kind of turned them off. You know, like, um, and, 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 and I, I grew up in a church, so I know I have a pretty acute sense of spiritual smell. You know, for instance, you can say, you know, a pastor just got this prayer request, just got this prayer request for this, this particular couple. I mean, they're really struggling in their marriage. We got to pray for them. You know, he's treating her like this and she's doesn't know what she's got. And, and uh, but let's, let's, let's pray. Just, just pray for them. Okay. Should we pray? No, no, no. You go home and pray. I'm just, I'm just letting you know, we ought to pray for, for so-and-so. Okay. That's, 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 that's interesting. And that's fine, I guess, to share with the pastor. But what's really unfortunate is whenever that gets sharing all throughout the church and everybody's talking about this prayer request that kind of <laughs> smells like gossip. But maybe that's just me. You know, I'm serious. Like, I think a lot of times people in the world are turned off by Christians who pass the visual test. They go to church and they, 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 they listen to Christian music, but, but their, their Facebook posts smell kind of, I don't know, a little bit bitter. You know what I'm saying? This is a little bit like they're, they're sharing their story about, you know, stuff, but it smells like it's got a little hint of uh, bitterness laced in there along with their story. It's got a little hint of gossip mixed in there with their, with their, with their prayer request. And we, we have found ways to, to still, it's like veggie burgers. We found ways to look, we look good. We found ways to, 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 to deal with all of the tactile tests to memorize the right scriptures and to, and to look the right way. But there's a certain, something smells a little off. Something smells a little. I was, I was, I was talking to, to a young church planter here. Uh, we, I, I, we always connect with, with new guys coming into South Austin. And uh, he's, he's actually meeting right near here, and he got a building. Like, even before he started, he got this building given to him. I'm like, man, that is awesome. So I went to check out the building, just encourage him a little bit. And uh, he was telling me, he's like, yeah, I was, I was, I've been listening to a lot of stories. Because he's, he's, he hasn't been here for a number of years. And I've been listening to a lot of stories. And he said, you know, I've heard that a lot of church plants in South Austin fail. And uh, it's true, it's true. Uh, the five years before we started City Chapel, in, the, in that five years, 40 churches were started in South Austin, in this, in that 40 churches were planted, and then about five of them were left within those five years. I mean, it's really true. This is, they, they, they call South Austin the church planter's graveyard. We're trying to change that. We're trying to reverse that a little bit by the grace of God. But, you know, he told me, he's like, you know, I heard that it's kind of, you know, a lot of church plants fail in here. And I said, and I said, yeah, just don't tell the church planter. Don't, don't mention the word fail because, because they kind of smell a little touchy sometimes when you mention that. Don't say that. Don't say fail. You know, this Lord redirected somewhere. Else. Like, don't use that word because they, because it, they smell a little bit sensitive about stuff and then he said he said yeah yeah he said he said but you know i think it's because i, I think it's because it's so hard to get real estate it's so expensive and so, so it's so hard to get a building and i said well that's definitely i mean i suppose that's part of it but to be honest mainline denominations throughout america if there's one thing they got is buildings they got really nice buildings and yet 3,000 churches a month are closing down in America. 3,000 churches are closing their doors to their buildings. They're nice big buildings that they have. And they're locking the doors because they can no longer afford to continue with the 15 people that have been supporting the pastor because the last couple of them, they just buried them. And, and, and churches, 
have buildings and yet they still die because within the buildings, whenever the community walks in, they talk about love, but they smell a little bit, a little bit judgmental. They smell a they smell a little bit standoffish. They smell, it's, it's the smell of a place. You can, you, you can walk into a family event and you can, you can smell if it's going to be a good day or a bad day. You know what I'm saying? Like Thanksgiving's coming up. So you need to, you might need to tune your, your sniffer a little bit because, because sometimes like you walk in situations and nobody's even saying anything, but you can, you can smell it. You can smell culture. You can smell what's going on behind the scenes. You can smell what's really inside the heart of people. You can smell attitude. You can smell enthusiasm. You can, you, I mean, you know, the pastor can be all fired up all that he wants to, but if the, but if, but, but if, if the people smell off, that's what, that's what people sense. And this is what God's testing. God is giving Abraham the sniff test, the smell test. I know he looks faithful, Right. I mean, for years he followed God for years. He believed in God. I know. I know he's got the exterior varnish of faithfulness. I know he's got the, the practice of faithfulness. But God is saying this is actually the last test. If you read the life of Abraham, this is the final test for Abraham. This is the last thing. I mean, this is the big the big this is the summit, you know, literally on a mountain. But it is also the summit of Abraham's life, his his storyline. He's 130 years old at this point, roughly, and he's only going to live to 175. This is, this is the big moment in his life, and the last test that God gives him is the smell test. He's given him several other tests throughout his life. He's tested his faith. He's tested his obedience. He's tested his, his commitment. But now he says, I want to give him the smell test. What is in you when you, go, when you get under pressure? What is... What is really in you will, will start to come out in the, the sniff test and the smell test. Uh, what, what, that, what, 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 what attitude? See, you, you smell things that you don't see. You smell interior issues. This is, this is true of a veggie burger. This is also true of Christians. Interior things are sort of felt, sort of received. They're not necessarily seen. Nobody, nobody stands up and says, I am so humble. I'm the most humble person ever. In fact, anybody who says that, you know immediately, they're not. Yet there are people that you know who you would say are humble. How do you know that? Because they just, they just smell humble. Because they never boast. They never brag. And anything that they accomplish, they always give glory to God or credit to other people. They always look out the window when looking for compliments and look in the mirror when looking at criticism. And, and, and they never tell you that they're humble. And they don't have a badge that says, I'm humble. And they don't put it on their Facebook profile about how humble they are. But you know that they have great humility because they, when you're around them, you, you don't feel like they have to be the center of attention. They make you the center. They make other people the center. They celebrate others. It's the smell test. And, and you, can't, you can't necessarily put your finger on it sometimes. Sometimes you can't just say, yeah, absolutely. But it's the, as JT would say, it's the vibe of the place. <laughs> it's the city chapel vibe, as JT has coined it. Uh, the world's okayest church just has a certain vibe about it. Somebody please define that for me. No, I can't define it. It's a, it's a vibe. It's a, I, I, I don't know. It just, just feels like people are loving. It just seems like people to sort of accept people. It seems like people actually hang out outside of church. It just seems like people are just, you know, really they, they actually love God and they're not perfect, but they actually love God and they're honest about it. They just seem trans, transparent. 
What do you mean transparent? Did Harry share his darkest secrets when he preached? No, but it just, just seemed like <laughs> it's the vibe of the place. It's the, it's the sense of selflessness. It's the, it's, it's the vibe that, that God is looking for. And so I want to look, quickly look at this story, and, I, and uh, I, I, I never really do this, but because I'm preaching a weird sermon anyway, I thought I would just title each point, and uh, I'm usually not that organized. But, but for my first point, I want to call it, and I'm, and I'm calling it all scents, right? And so all, all types of smells. And so, and, and so basically for my first point, I want to talk about the perfume of prayer, the perfume of, of, of prayer. See, we even got it on the slide. Check it out. Like, we're so organized. I want to talk about the perfume of prayer because this is the beginning of the sniff test for Abraham. Abraham passes the perfume of prayer. He smells of prayer. In the very beginning of this passage, it starts off. Now, after these things, God tested him and God said to him, Abraham. And Abraham said, what? <laughs> That's prayer. Prayer is where God's talking to you and you're talking to God. And here's the deal. I know Abraham prayed not because of this verse, but because he had a conversation with he, he had a conversation with God, he prayed, and then the early the next morning, Abraham got up and did something that he would never have done otherwise. So this is this is what I've learned. I've learned that being in Texas and really being in America, we've grown up with sort of a cultural Christianity where we we're all expected to sort of be Christians, kind of mostly for the most part especially at our funerals. We're all going to heaven. I mean, it's just everybody is Christian. Everybody, you know, I was born a whatever, Catholic or Baptist or, or, or Baptocostal or, you know, whatever you were born. You know, we, we identify with that as a, as a child. We identify with this particular uh, form of, of religion or Christianity. And, and, and that's good. It has its benefits because it helps to make a society that's actually a lot um, better off than it would be. Uh, but, but on the other hand, it's difficult because it sort of confuses people because we use terms uh, that are biblical, but we do use them in a weird way. For instance, people will tell me, Pastor, I've been praying for three weeks on this. And, and I'll say, wow, that's awesome. What has God told you? And they'll look at me funny like, huh? <laughs> no, God, God didn't tell me anything. I've just been praying for three weeks on this. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but like, what has God told you? Because you, you're, you're telling me that you're praying, but it, what I've come to understand is that, is that culturally, we call praying, we call it praying, but really, it smells a little bit like contemplating. Like, I was driving in the car, and I've been thinking on this for three weeks, and there's nothing wrong with contemplating. It's just not praying. Because oftentimes, in, in the Bible, when people pray, they come out of their prayer meeting thinking differently than they walked in. <laughs> okay, fine. So uh, you might have to tuck your toes under your chairs. Just, just I mean, like, seriously, this, 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 this message is going to help you smell better. So just, 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 just if, even if you don't like it, just nod and say, okay, all right, yeah, well, that's what prayer is. I'm always coming out differently. No, okay, fine. But look, this is what it's supposed to be. This is what it can be. Real prayer. Honest prayer before God is not just thinking about things or contemplating things or, 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 or considering things or worrying about things. Real prayer is coming into alignment with the will of God. Real prayer. If you don't walk out saying, not my will, but your will be done, you haven't actually prayed about it. You've thought about it. You've considered it. You've weighed the options. You've, and, and hey, you ought to do that. Do that while you're driving to work, driving home from work. I mean, in, in your mind, think, think things through. 
But, but, but then pray. Then bring it before God. Then hear a direct word from God and come to a conclusion that you would not have otherwise come to. And here's, and here's a good question. If you stopped praying, would your life look any different? If you stopped praying altogether and said, I'm not going to ever talk to God ever again, would, you, would your decisions look any different? Would the job that you're working at be a different job? Would the, would the, would the way that you raise your kids be different? Or would it be pretty much the same? Would it be pretty much what you can figure out on your own and just kind of making decisions? Prayer ought to change us. People say prayer changes things. No, prayer changes us, and then we change things. Prayer shifts something inside of us. Real prayer does. Real prayer before God. When Abraham talked to God, he he was not planning on harming his son. He was not thinking about killing his son. And yet after his encounter with God, Abraham gets up early the next morning, gives his wife a kiss, packs his son up, uh, gets a couple of servants, gets everything together, and he starts acting on what he heard in prayer. Real prayer will change the way you act. It's the perfume of prayer. It's not just the, the tactile of prayer. It's not just the facade of prayer. It's not just the veggie burger of prayer. This is, this is, this is real USDA grade. What's the kind we get at, at Whole Foods? I mean, this is organic grass-fed beef. I mean, these cows were happy when they died. You know what I mean? Right up until that, they were happy. I mean, they were whistling on their way down to the execution chamber. I mean, like, these are, these are good. This is real prayer. This is good prayer. And I know this isn't true for everyone. And so I'm sharing this with you so that you can start to have the aroma of prayer in your life. So that you can introduce real prayer in your life. That, yes, go away and think about it. Yes, talk to people that you trust. Yes, contemplate and do all of those things. But then bring it before God and allow God to communicate to you what he wants you to do. And almost certainly every single time it will be different than what you would have done. It'll shift your natural inclination, your natural tendency. This is going against everything natural for Abraham. Anybody who's got children around here, you know that the most unnatural thing to do is to harm your own child, because even, I mean, even, even just nobody had to tell me that I was my son's and my daughter's protector. Nobody had to give me a class on, on you, need to, you need to keep them safe. As soon as they were born, I immediately felt this strong weight. I got to protect these little guys. <laughs> Bundles of joy. <laughs> when Madden was born, uh, we, we, we gave birth, my wife gave birth to her in the... <laughs> Just got to distinguish. Uh, gave birth. Yeah, it's gonna smell. It's gonna smell off. Uh, she she gave birth to Madden in a in a in a in a midwife center in town because we lived way out of town. And uh, I remember she gave birth around nine fifteen at night, and we didn't sleep the whole night. Uh, the midwives left us, and uh, we just had little baby Madden laying there in the bed between us, and we were just staring at her, and we just had like this sort of warm, fuzzy glow over us. Anybody's ever had kids, you know what I'm talking about. We didn't sleep at all. It was just, it was beautiful. It was glorious. It was preparing us for the next eight years. And uh, it was good, you know, and uh, we should have slept. <laughs> we really should have. Uh, but anyway, it's seven o'clock in the morning. We're like, well, I guess we might as well go home. And so we got this, this car seat right, and it's got all these straps and buckles and pads and airbags and radio systems. And I mean, it's fancy. And, and we're, so I'm strapping her in all nice and tight, 
Madden's all, you know, she's brand new, like, like brand new. And so, you know, we, we carry her out and like, you got to be real careful because doors can bump you and stuff. And so, you know, honey, honey, get the door, get the door. Okay. Okay. You got the door. Okay. I'll go this way. You're, 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 you're contemplating every step, every move. Cause you don't want to like shake her too much or bump her or cause all those pads might, you know, hurt something. I don't know. And uh, you just, you know, you're very, very careful. You're not swinging it around. You're very careful. Put her in the backseat of the scion backward. You know, you can strap it in below or above. So of course I do both, you know, we're like doing both double, double siding it. And, uh, we're, we're taking off, right? And it was, and it's typically about a 35 minute drive from the, from the midwife center out to our house. It took us like an hour to get home. And Rose, we, we pull in and Rose like, did that take a little while? I said, yeah, I don't know what's going on. It was a traffic or something. But then I, I got thinking about it. And I'm like, well, I never went over 40 miles an hour. That might be why. Because, I mean, I, I mean, I've driven all kinds of people. I used to be a personal assistant, so I'd pick people up from the airport. I've driven John Bevere around in my little Scion. I've driven uh, uh, Jensen Franklin around, Bishop Jake's around. I, I've taken some, some folks, uh, 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 Paula White, you know, she, 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 she liked my Scion. And so, you know, I mean, I, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm like, oh, cool. I'm like, yeah, okay, let's go. We're driving around. But suddenly I got Madden in the back seat, and she's a day old. And I'm like, okay, 10 and 20, 10 and, or 10 and 2, 10 and 2, 10 and 2. Here we go. All right, we're turning. We are now turning yes we're definitely turning it's like those people that you get upset at on the on, on the freeway but that 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 was me and other people are speeding blazing by me and they don't understand how dangerous this is you know and it's just i nobody told me that nobody even warned me about that i had a i've always been a pretty fast driver very safe but pretty fast because sometimes you gotta be fast to be safe and I'll just tell you that right now. And, and it's, just, it's just what it is. And, 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 but suddenly, I'm, I'm, I'm like those old ladies, you know, just like, because I felt the weight of protecting her. Abraham felt that, only this was his only son. So what, what kind of, I mean, this kid's in bubble wrap all his life, you know what I'm saying? Like, we don't want him to hit his head. We don't want to, no, you can't ride bikes. No, you can't go snowboarding. No, you definitely cannot get on a, mo- a motorcycle. I mean, all of the, all the no's in his life. And now God asked him to go against his nature. And that's what prayer will do. Prayer will cut at your natural tendencies. Real prayer. Real, real prayer will switch things up. It's the perfume of prayer. Secondly, there is the aroma of obedience. And I know that's not technically alliterated, but it's pretty darn close. Aroma, obedience, whatever. It's the aroma of obedience because throughout this entire process, Abraham is immediately obedient. He's immediate. And that's so important. The timing of obedience. He's not waiting to see if maybe God's going to change his mind. He's not waiting to see if maybe his wife will suggest it. He's not waiting to see if, well, I need another sign. No, he's immediately obedient. Delayed obedience is really just disobedience. He's immediately, immediately obedient. He starts walking immediately. He takes a three-day journey about 50 miles from where he was. He saddles up his donkey, gets his son, gets a couple servants to help carry some stuff, and he starts walking. It's interesting that whenever he gets to the mountain after the three-day journey, after 50 miles, miles of journeying he turns to the to to the servants and he says we're going to go forth and worship but actually he had been worshiping the entire time because the worship for 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 him was in the walking that was his worship his worship to god 
was not some altar he was going to build and some animal he was going to kill. I mean, God provided the animal. The worship was in the walking. The worship was in the obedience that God has called me to do this thing that I do not want to do. Everything within me is fighting against me, but God is calling me to walk in this direction. And so I'm going to continue walking. I'm going to continue walking in this. And this is how you, 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 can, you can create the aroma of obedience in your life. When I was in college, um, you may have picked up on my sniff test analogy that I, I'm not always the cleanest person. I've cleaned up a lot since marrying Roe because otherwise I wouldn't still be married. And so I've had to, I've had to kind of clean some things up. But when I was in college, it was, it was the first time Harry on his own in, in a little cylinder block uh, room on my own. And um, it, was, it was fine. It was awesome. I was great. But um, what happened was I, I, I really got into cappuccinos. I don't know if you've, you've ever tried cappuccinos. This was my gateway drug to espresso, which I'm now hooked on. But um, it, at college, they had this little espr- uh, a cappuccino machine, right? And you, you push the button and it fills it up. And it's a whole lot of milk, a whole lot of sugar, and a teeny tiny bit of coffee. And I, I really liked it. I had these little foam cups from the cafeteria. And I, I always after class in the afternoon, I would get a little cappuccino and I'd go back to my room, sip on my cappuccino. And occasionally I would, you know, forget um, to throw the cup away. And so there was this one time when, when I had taken the entire cup, I mean, filled up, and I forgot to even drink it. I set it back behind one of my little chairs in my room and just left it there for about two weeks. And a friend of mine came in, and he wanted to talk, and I said, yeah, man, pull up a chair. Well, he pulls up the chair. He knocks over my cup of cappuccino. Now, what had happened is it didn't really smell that bad because it was in a foam cup, and, and, and the foam, the froth on the top had hardened. Sealing everything within. Worked, worked, worked for me. And when he knocked it over, the, everything spilled out. So sour milk really is the, the primary smell. Um, and you only know what that smells like if you've actually smelled it. And there's this massive like stain on my little carpet. And they have this thin, thin, thin carpet at, at college dorms. And I never really cleaned stuff up like that before. <laughs> or cleaned up much, period. And I said, well... Um, huh, uh, okay, and so I went and grabbed a towel, like, a, you know, the towel, folded it up, laid it on top. I thought that ought to take care of it, <laughs> and, uh, and it did. I mean, you know, soaked it up a bit, flipped it, rolled it, and just left it there. I thought, you know, that'll, that'll lock all the bad smell in. It'll be good, and um, it took care of it just fine. Now, uh, the towel was a little um, uh, stiff after a while, but, you know, it pretty much dealt with it, I thought. And what was funny, this is around October, so November comes around, December, early December, getting ready to go on Christmas break, and I start smelling something. Not when I'm in my dorm room, but when I'm in class. You know, I'm sitting there, and I start smelling like a, like a sour milk kind of smell. I'm like, man, somebody around here really stinks, I'll tell you that. Like, I don't know what's going on, but somebody's... <laughs> And for, and for like the last week and a half of class, I'm smelling this everywhere I'm going. I'm like, who's still in my class with me? Who takes this class and that class? And, that class? and I keep smelling it. And it's so weird. And, and, and so finally, I, I, I pack up some clothes because I never did laundry in Bible college. Instead, I would take it when I would go home for my mom to do my laundry. And uh, this, is, this, is, this is my transparent mo- moment for you all. And uh, I would stuff it all in a black trash bag and like bring it, you know, and throw it in the back of the car. And so I drive up home to Michigan and uh, Christmas break, I open the bag in this massive whiff of sour milk smell. And I'm like, 
It was me all along. I smell like sour milk. And they're like, that stain, that must be it, you know? I mean, because I had a couple stains. I was like, I think it's that one. And, and you know, and so, and, and, so, and so sure enough, my mom does my laundry. I go back uh, after, after Christmas break. I walk in, and my room smells so bad. I mean, the cinder block walls smell bad. Like everything, my bed sheets, the everything. And this is, this is one of the things I learned is that sometimes you can have like a little bit of disobedience in your life and you can think that you've covered it up and sort of dealt with it and it was isolated, it was compartmentalized, it was just over there. And yet somehow the aroma of that starts infecting every other area of your life. Even your relationships, you're like, man, my spouse really stinks. She's got an attitude. I don't know what is her problem. Boy, my kids, man, what's up with my kids? You guys don't smell that good. My church, boy, a small group. You guys, whew, something's going on over here. And it's like the same smell is in every church that you're hopping back and forth to. And the same smell is in every relationship you're hopping back and forth to. Maybe it's coming from you. <laughs> But, but, but I don't have sour milk. I had that one stain that one time, but I've covered it up. It was isolated. It was over here. It's just this little part of my life. Yeah, but the smell from a little bit of disobedience starts infecting the entire room and all of your clothes and all of your life and every aspect. And you don't even notice it because you get so used to the smell. When you sleep in it, when you wake up in it, you just, you don't smell it anymore. It's not until you're out and about. It's not until you're interacting with other people. It's not until that the, the stench of disobedience starts creeping up. And the way to deal with that is, is of course, through obedience. In order for me to get rid of the smell, um, I, uh, I went home and, uh, and I asked mom, I said, so how exactly do you clean up stains like this? And she said, well, you get this thing and that thing, spray it and scrub it and blah, blah, blah. So I did all that. I opened the windows in the middle of January up and over. What we do when we come to Jesus, ask forgiveness, we deal with the stain. He, he cleans it up like it never happened. And I didn't even have to pay. I, I got my deposit back because there wasn't even a stain there. So praise the Lord. And the stain's gone. No more towel. I chucked that out in the trash. I got this freezing cold in here, but it's aired out. Everything is aired out. I washed my, my sheets, my pillow, my blanket. I mean, everything has been washed and clean, and it's sterile, and it's good. Kind of. The problem is, the problem is that for the first six weeks, the smell kept coming back. And I said, what's going on? And that's why I started smelling the, the walls. Those walls even smell. I was like, what in the world? And so I got a better plan. I went to Yankee Candle and bought a whole bunch of these massive smelly candles. Mom's home-cooked meal pie and some, I don't know, other stuff. And I just started lighting candles. And my dorm ended up, my room ended up being the best-smelling room in the whole guy's dorm. Because I had all these candles around. And then they were like, what's up with all the candles? I'm like, it smells good in here, doesn't it? And they're like, yeah, it smells great. Like, you have to not just extract the bad smell, deal with the stain, but obedience inserts a new smell into your life. Obedience is the candle that gives a new aroma, that gives a new scent, a new meaning to your life, a new aroma. And it doesn't have to be big obedience. It can be as little as simply... I know I ought to be going to church every Sunday, so I'm going to go to church. I'm going to make sure my family's in church. Just little things. 
It can just be little things. It can just be, I mean, my, my, my candles weren't very expensive. They were pretty easy to do. It's just, it's the little stuff. It, it's not always like where to move and where